Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another edition of the Behind the U podcast. And this time we'll go behind the U with defensive line coach Jess Simpson. I'm with that. I leave some. Are we assistant head coach, defensive line coach? I don't want to shortchange you on a title. Assistant head coach and D line coach. All right. So there we go. I don't want to shortchange you. Uh, you've earned that. So I don't want to shortchange you. Coach, first of all, appreciate it. Welcome back. And uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Well, it's great to be back and, and glad to do it, man. All right. So we're, we're going to talk some ball and we're going to talk a lot about you and your journey. But I, I got to ask you this. How long or, or maybe how short did it take you to say yes to Manny the second time around? It didn't take long at all. You know, I had such a great experience here back in 2018, you know, and, and uh, when Coach Rick, when I came down and Trisha and I spent the weekend with him and Catherine and got to know Manny and Stephanie and the rest of the defensive staff, like, you know, I'd been a high school coach two years earlier. 2016 was my last year in high school up in Buford, Georgia. We had a great year. We played great defense. We had so much fun. And then, you know, obviously with Manny taking over, you know, fit right in. Um, and then so coming back, uh, I always say, man, it's, you know, life is always best when you make good people decisions. And uh, being with Manny and being in a place like this with all the great people at the University of Miami, being around other great coaches, uh, being around these players, I just love. I love dealing with them. I love coaching them. I love leading them. That, that was really, really easy on top of getting to live in Miami. I, I love the sun. I love it down here. You know, I grew up playing ball, you know, in, in the 80s and early 90s. And to say the words, you're the defensive line coach for the Miami Hurricanes. Like, that's such a cool thing for me to hear. You know, it's something that I know, you know, the regard I had for Miami and the way they played football, and certainly as a D-line guy, the way the D-line has played you know, around here at the U forever, like it means something to me, like it's special. And I want it to mean something special to these guys. And I know it does, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool deal for me. So we got to unwrap a few things in there. So when you first came down here, even though you said you had this distant respect just from growing up during a time period where Miami was kind of taken off, but what was it about coach Rick and Manny and what they shared with you or what you saw that made you decide that's where you wanted to be making your move to college football? and I kind of always thought when my sons got done playing at Buford, I knew it'd be time for me probably to make a move. For most of my life as a high school coach, you know, obviously the progression I always thought would be to become a college coach. You know, and running a successful program like Buford, man, I had more coaches come through that school every year than you could count. I, I used to keep a little chart of kind of who was in and who was out just during the spring, during that six weeks, during spring ball when coaches could get out. And literally we would have you know, somewhere in the 150 range of schools. And a lot of times they would make multiple visits. So I, I could meet all kind of coaches and watch the guys who I thought really recruited well and built relationships with coaches and players. And uh, obviously when you have good players, you know, the doors are always open for you, you know, minus COVID to go visit coaches and learn and take your staff places. And uh, so for, 
you know, 20 something years after I left Auburn of being a high school coach, um, it was fun to have those relationships because they allowed me as a high school coach to grow and to kind of hang on to that dream, you know, that maybe one day I could be a, a college coach and really had no idea that I'd get an opportunity to coach in the NFL. That wasn't really anything on my radar. And, you know, when Dan Quinn called me in Atlanta and offered me an assistant D-line job in 2017, uh, I was kind of like blown away. I was like, wow, yeah, I guess it'd be pretty cool. You know, I think going to the NFL kind of, a lot of coaches say, man, it gives you your PhD in football. And I, and I think my years there have been some of the greatest growing experiences I've had as a coach. And for me to be in it this deep in my career, to have a chance to grow again like that was so unique. But as far as coming to Miami, Mark Rick is somebody that I've known for a long, long time and had a great respect for. Buford, Georgia and Athens, Georgia were probably 30 minutes apart. So I spent a lot of time in Athens, you know, got to know Coach Rick and his staff really well while he was there. Coach Rick had actually tried to hire me in Georgia when I was coaching at Buford, but I, I had my boys coming through my program. And I always wanted to be a college coach, but I always knew, I always said, you know what, I might regret not taking certain jobs, but I would never regret coaching my sons. And, uh, you know, I know this, man, I, I want to accomplish great things still as a football coach, but, you know, the times I got to be on the grass and in the field house with my boys were really just some of the most incredible times I'll ever have as, as a man, as a father, as a husband, watching them grow up, watching them having to deal with things, watching my coaches coach them and pour into them, getting to do life with all those guys that work for me, just an unreal experience. So, you know, then getting to go come down here and work for a guy like Mark Rick, who I'd always respected and be his defensive line coach and coach at Miami. You know, that's kind of like a dream come true for a guy like me. I know you said no regrets ever coaching your boys. Well, I imagine you tell me, was there pulls to get out before they were had come through? And how did you how did you wrestle? Was it if it, it, it seems rather simplistic, but I imagine it was tougher than that. It really was. I mean, the last four or five years that the boys were in high school, my boys were close in age. My youngest son right now is a senior at Wake Forest and about to graduate. My oldest is 25 and lives in Atlanta. And then my middle son just graduated from West Point last year. So they're all close in age. But those last four or five years at Buford, boy, I had a tug in my heart every year of, man, is it time for me to grow and move on? Golly, I want to stay here with the boys. I was probably offered two or three jobs that I really considered you know, one of them being the University of Georgia when they were in high school. And um, I can remember driving them to one campus and really considering another job. We took the family down there. We visited the local high school. And uh, I remember, I think it was my middle son, Cooper, going, Dad, are, are you really going to make us go to school here? And are you really not going to coach us? And, and, you know, as a dad, you're like, oh, man, that was a low blow, Coop. <laughs> so, you know what, man, just – just uh. It, it, it was hard to say no, but you knew you were you were saying no for the right reasons. Like I said, man, just never will regret getting to coach those guys and be around them during their high school years. When they were all through after, I think it's 2000, is it 2016 when, when you were done? This last game, my youngest son was December of 2016. We lost the state championship. And I literally took the Georgia State defensive line job a week later. And I uh, went to Georgia State with Sean Elliott. I was there. I recruited the month of January. And uh, Dan Quinn, who I'd known for probably eight or nine years, called me on Valentine's afternoon, on a Friday afternoon, and said, hey, out of the blue, he said, I've always wanted to work with you. Would you come take the assistant D-line job here in Atlanta? Well, the, the Falcons facility was literally 
eight miles north of my house in Buford, up in Flowery Branch, Georgia. And I was like, Coach, I don't know if I could do I mean, I just took this job at Georgia State. How, how can I do that? And he goes, hey, no pressure. Just wanted you to know I'd love for you to take it. So I called Trish, and she's like, I don't know what to tell you this. So then I called Sean Elliott, my, our, our head coach at Georgia State, great guy, good friend. And I told him, I said, look, Coach, I, I don't know what to tell you. Dan Quinn just offered me this job, and he said, you know, he said, stop. And listen, he said, you're a high school coach two months ago. You got a chance to be in the NFL. He said, you got to take this job. So, like, just so much uh, appreciation and respect for a guy like him because Sean's one of those guys, he's in it for his people, and he wanted to see me have an opportunity to grow, and he knew it would be good for me. You know, so as a 47-year-old, here there I went. You know, I, I became the assistant D-line coach with the Atlanta Falcons. And, and literally when you take those jobs, you're getting to coach, but you're doing, like, the grunt work. You know, you're breaking down film, you're drawing cards, you're drawing playbook, you know. And it was good for me because it was a growing time and that I knew what I knew. I'd been in a place where everything that we'd done, literally, you know, I had called it what I wanted to call it. We'd run what I wanted to run. It was my terminology. So it was a really cool way for me to throw myself into something new. You know, I always challenge players to get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And, and for the first time in a long time, I got real uncomfortable. I was having to learn somebody else's defense and somebody else's terminology. And I had to learn how things worked at different places where at a place like Buford, I did everything the way I wanted to and it had earned the right to lead people and lead programs and, and have influence. And all of a sudden, I'm a follower again. So re really cool year for me, cool experience. Any intimidation walking into an NFL facility coming from where you came from, even though it was your friend, you kind of jumped past undergrad and went right to grad school? You know what? I'd probably be lying and say, you know, uh, anytime you do something new and for a first time, you probably are a little bit unsure of yourself. But what I, you know, when you know yourself also is, you know, I know that a lot of times I'm going to figure out what I don't know. I know that I'm going to listen twice as much as I talk. And I know that I can figure stuff out and, and I'll pride myself on, you know, I'm going I'm to work as hard or harder than anybody else in the building. And, uh, you know, I just think if you have that about you and you're passionate about it and you're passionate about people, you're passionate about helping people. I just, I always go, you know what, whatever it is, you know, I just, my whole life, I've just felt like, hey, I'm not here by accident. There's a reason I'm here. If I'm not equipped to do this right now, I'm going to figure it out. You know, that's kind of how I, I approached the Atlanta thing. I walked in there basically, I knew I didn't know a lot of stuff. And I knew there was stuff I didn't even know that I didn't know. <laughs> that's okay. Like, you, you got to be willing to throw yourself out there and be vulnerable to learn and to grow. And uh, yeah, was it, was it easy? No. But was it exhilarating? Um, yes. You know, was I grateful for that opportunity? Absolutely. It's fun to be pushed. It's fun to be challenged. And I was at a place in my career where, yeah, I was still being challenged and pushed, but not in a way, you know, I took a, uh, obviously I took a big jump and a big step because I could have stayed at Buford probably and retired there whenever I wanted when I turned 60 years old and been comfortable. You know, my daddy always told me the dirtiest word in the dictionary is the R word. It's the regret word. And I just don't want to I don't want to live this life and have regret at the end of it, man. And having a chance to, to see how far you can take something or see how much you can grow or to be able to write a different story or a different chapter in your, in your life. Like to me, I don't know. I think I'll, hopefully I'll spend the rest of my life being that way. All right. So let's circle back to coaching the kids. How fun was it? It was fun. Was it easy all the time? No, it was challenging. You know, Trisha, my wife, man, she, she's a great coach's wife. I mean, we, she had rules when we walked in, after practice in the evenings, you know, the rule was we weren't going to talk about ball unless the boys asked. 
and literally they were not going to ask. You know, I've tried to tried my, pride myself on being a truth teller and being honest with people. And I always remember one night sitting at the dinner table with Cooper and I was probably mad after a practice and he, he looked up and asked me something about it. And I paused and I said, Coop, do you really want me to talk about this right now? <laughs> I said, no, sir. And so we, we waited till the next day to, to address it. So, but the fun was just going, you know, football is, uh, I always tell kids this, like football is 99% of the grind and the work to get to enjoy that 1% of the game day, those moments where you get to show off and everything you've done. But when you really step back and look at it, that 90% of work and grind, that practice, that lift, those meetings, those walkthroughs, those runs, the mat drills, you know, it's a cliche to say the joy's in the journey, but man, is it fun. And that's what the players all miss the most when they leave ball. I think the game days they talk about, I don't care if you're around NFL players, college players, high school players, they always talk about their past experiences and their past relationships. I mean, on Saturday nights, sitting around with NFL guys, they're talking about their college team or their high school teams, and those were the good old days, you know. And so somebody told me a long time ago, man, if you live today and you realize that these are the best of times right now, um, you know, you don't have regret. You enjoy it. And uh, seeing my boys go through it, seeing them having to suck their guts up when they were tired or it got really hard or we were down, like, you know, that's what every parent in the world wants. You want to be standing there eyeball to eyeball and literally watch your son grow up in those moments and that's what that's along with a lot of other things that's what football really provided for me with the boys now imagine you got three boys they're all a little different right they must have different personalities different strengths weaknesses quirks they probably know how to get under your skin differently right i mean it could not have been the same yeah and, and i promise you we don't have enough time to talk about how <laughs> I mean, it, it's and it's so cool how you go all right these four kids came from us two people Obviously, they share a lot of things in common, but they just couldn't be any more different. But that's part of why it's so cool, too, watching your kids. And, you know, when, when the boys got done playing, we just kind of made a deal. And it was hard. Probably I didn't know how hard it was going to be on me, but it was like, all right, guys, we're all going to go chase our dreams. You know, Luke is running a camp for Perimeter Church in Atlanta. I paid his way through school at Georgia State. Cooper went off to West Point to play football, and he's in the military now. Jake went to Wake Forest, Emma's at Auburn. So literally we were this tight family. And when you're a coach's family, you got to be close because, you know, it ain't always easy and everybody ain't always in love with the coach or the coach's family because it don't go good and go right for everybody. You know, we kind of all said, all right, we're all going to go chase dreams here. It it was, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to miss some of those games and those life moments, those graduations, those things that I had taken for granted because, you know, we've just been so tight and so together all the time. And then all of a sudden, I'm on a bus in Miami at a preseason game or a week one somewhere and Cooper or Jake playing and I can't even watch him because I can't get it on my phone. You know, and like as a dad, you're kind of sitting there gulping, going, what, what's wrong with this, man? I mean, like, this isn't supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be there. And so that was a different part of our journey the last four or five years, too. It was different for us. So, and then your daughter, and I, we're going all over the place, but your daughter, right, you pulled her out to move to Miami, but when you went back to Atlanta, the second go-around, she got to kind of go back home. It, it all fit together. It all circled back. It did. It circled back. She got to go back to Buford and graduate where she had grown up. And, you know, as a daddy, I probably underestimated how attached she was to Buford. And as a 16-year-old girl, you know, like her to get to go back home and graduate with her friends even in the midst of COVID was such a, a cool thing for her to get to do. By the way, did she like Miami the one year she was here? 
She did. I think now I'll be honest, there was a lot of things about home. You know, you can imagine you when you grow up in a town, Buford's a small town that's gotten a lot bigger, but you know, she knew everybody, everybody knew her. She had her niche in fine arts and all. And, you know, I, I think as a dad, I probably, like I said, I probably underestimated what a big deal it would be for her. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Marietta, Georgia. Then how far is that from Buford? It's an hour west, but if you drive straight up out of Atlanta up 75, Marietta's about 30 minutes. If you drive out of Atlanta going 85 north, Buford's probably about 35, 40 minutes outside of Atlanta. Okay, and was like football always in your life? Was my dad uh, was a great player at Marietta High School where I played. I kind of always followed in his footsteps. He was a really good player at Auburn. He uh, he played in the NFL I think three years. I kind of grew up wanting to be a football player and be like my dad. You know, my dad. I, I'm 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 lucky, man. I got my parents are just great folks, and you know, I was I was blessed to have them. You know, leading me and guiding me and. You know, I had a good dad to look up to and somebody that I wanted to emulate for sure from the time I was little. And did he push you into football or just sort of a natural occurrence? Opposite. Didn't care if I played football, wouldn't let me play football till you know, I got older. He didn't believe in youth football and I didn't need that. And I could do whatever I wanted, but he wasn't going to let me play football until I got older. And what was his rationale just out of curiosity? You know what? I don't know if he just <laughs> was very good or... I don't think he went out for football until his junior year in high school. That's crazy. So I think if it was good enough for him. It could be good enough for me. I got you. So you followed in his footsteps to Auburn too, right? Yeah. I went and played for Coach Dye at Auburn, and, and then that's kind of how I got into coaching. You know, ended up working down there as a student assistant for a couple of years. I got married in college to Tricia and, and uh, stayed down there a couple of years and then came back home to Marietta High School for one year to work for my high school coach, Dexter Wood. And he was still the head coach at Marietta. And I got to, I went home with and worked in Marietta for one year. And then in 1995, in the winter of 95, came in and said, hey, I'm going to a small town. I'm going to Beaver, Georgia. I'm doing it for family reasons. It's a small city school system. There's a lot of support there. It'll be a building thing, but I think you ought to come with me. You're a young coach. You know, I wanted to be a head coach. I thought everybody should hire me when I was 24, 25 years old. Every time I interviewed for a job, I walked out thinking I'd got the job every time. I mean, I was probably a little bit arrogant in that way, but I just was young and hungry and couldn't learn enough, couldn't work enough. Uh, just, you know, football's just been really good to me because I've been around great people my whole life. What kind of influence was Coach Wood? Wow, man, that's a, uh, I could talk about him all night. I, I love telling this story. Um, I told him when he got, I, I did his little speech when he got inducted to the Georgia High School Hall of Fame a couple years ago. My sophomore year, I think we were 500 at Marietta. And uh, they made a coaching change. And, and it was hard because the former coach is a great guy and he was really popular. And uh, the day they hired Dexter Wood, I remember I was in the hallway at Merida High School and Dexter's a big, tall, six foot four guy. He was walking down the hallway. He was, it seemed like he was 50 yards away from me with, with our principal, Herb Garrett. And I was out on a hall pass, probably talked the teacher into letting me go to the bathroom or something. So I'm in the hallway and we had played against this team. He had been at Lasseter High School in we played against them the previous two years, and Lasseter had beaten us those two years, my freshman and sophomore year. So I'm walking down the hallway. It seemed like it took forever. I get up on him, and I reach my hand out to shake his hand and introduce myself. And, and the first words that Dexter ever said to me were, uh, I know who you are. You're Jess Simpson, and you're going to do great things. And, uh, like, even today, telling that story, man, almost chokes me up because, like, the power and the influence a coach has – 
speaking into a young person like, I'm 50 years old, and that seems like yesterday. And he coached me, and he treated me, and, and that didn't mean, you know, he got on with me when, he, you know, we work together some too now. now. Don't get it twisted. But the influence that man had over me and, and how, you know, he spoke into my life as a coach, as a young man, as a husband, as a father, I could tell you a thousand stories. You know, next to my dad, there's nobody in this world that's had a greater impact on me. I remember walking into his office my junior year after spring practice, and I was getting all kind of mail from colleges, yeah, you know, Clemson and Georgia and Auburn. And I didn't have a lot of offers back then. This is back in the late 80s. This is probably 87-ish. I went in, and he had this small little office. He textures this big old man with big hands. He's leaning back, and this office is small, and I sit across the desk. And he takes a stack of mail, and he pushes it over to me. And I'm sitting right in front of him with his letters from colleges. And he says, yes, you're getting a lot of mail from these colleges about playing football. And I, and I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, yeah. He said, well, here's your mail, but I'm not sure you're good enough. And you can go now. Wow. <laughs> You know, but he knew me. He knew that would light a fire under me like nobody's business. But my whole life, he always knew what to say to me. You know, whether it was encouraging me, whether it was, you know, disciplining me, reprimanding me, challenging me as a young coach, as an older coach. Um, just, I got a thousand stories and not all like that one, but just, uh, you know, give me advice as a husband or a father. Like literally, man, if, if every man in this world had an outside daddy, had a Dexter Wood in their life, man, I, it, the world would be a better place. I know that. What did he say? Jess Simpson, I know who you are and I believe in you. What was that? He said, I know who you are. You're Jess Simpson and you're going to do great things. That, that's the first words out of his mouth to me in 1987. So how much does those eight words shape how you coached at Buford, how you coach in the NFL, how you coach in college, knowing the power that a mentor can have on his students, so to speak? I mean, it's everything to me. You know, and it's not all roses every day either. This is what I believe. I think when people know your heart and they know where you're coming from, you can coach them as hard as you love them. And Coach Dye used to always tell me that. You can coach them as hard as you're willing to love them. And you can speak greatness. There's so much greatness in kids nowadays, and there's so, but there's so much negative thought and negative talk in their head need coaches they need mentors to say i see the greats in you and maybe that ain't that ain't how you're acting right now maybe that's how you're living right now maybe that's not how you're talking right now but it's in there and i expect it players and kids are gonna they're gonna they're gonna rise to the level of the expectation that we have for them i, I believe that with all my heart and if i want you to be great then i gotta come be great for you every day and, and that's that's what like to me coaching where we get it all twisted up it's a two-way street you know, it's the coaches putting it in for the players. It's the players putting it in for the coaches. It's player to player putting it in. It's coach to coach. It's us doing it for this place, Miami. Like, when people are in it for everybody else, and you know that excellence is the only standard, doing it exactly right is the only standard, man, you can do great things. But when, when your agenda and, and when everybody lives that way, when their own agenda is the most important thing, and honestly, that's human nature when you wake up. When, when that drives the culture every day, you, you're never you, you might accomplish some things, but you're never going to be the thing that you want. You're never going to have the thing that you want. It, it's building a culture where people buy into it for everybody else. People understand the standard and they're, they're willing to live for it and live to it, not just because they want something more for themselves, but because they feel like they owe it. To me, that's the real brotherhood of ball that you, you can have. But, but I think the coach has got to be willing to go there for it first. And you got to find players 
they're willing to do it and then players that are willing to hold other players accountable to it. So that philosophy, when did that take shape for you? Was it at Buford, somewhere along the way at Buford? And when you finally figured it out, how did that sort of shape you as a head coach moving forward? And if it wasn't then, when was it? You know what? I think along the journey of my life, I can look at a lot of times. I think as a junior in high school, that first year, Dexter Wood was at Marietta. We were one and nine. It was miserable. In my senior year, we decided we weren't going to be that way anymore. And, you know, we had a better year my senior year. And he always kind of pointed to that was the year that turned the program at Marietta around. I think Buford, we had a class in 1999. We'd been there for four years trying to build something and probably felt like the players didn't buy in. It took three or four years. But when they stopped resisting and they started going, all right, we're going to let you coach us hard. We're going to listen to what you want. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, we turned the thing around in 1999. We played for our first state championship in 2000. And then after 2000, we played in 15 state championships in 17 years. My favorite, one of the favorite books I read back in 2000, I think it was 99 or 2000, I read Jim Collins' Good to Great. And it was really bent towards business. But man, I, I, you know, as a program and as a, we just bought into that stuff. We believed it. Like, how do we go from good to great? You know, and that's what I'm challenging these guys here right now. What, what is the difference? What are the things that are separating us right now from being a top program in the country to being an elite program in the country? Like, what is it? And there's some hard, brutal facts talks that you got to have. And you got to have those talks with yourself. And you got to have those talks with coaches. You got to have those talks with players. But I think when people start being honest, and you start really taking an inward look, you can start addressing the things that are going to make up that ground that we got to make up to get where we want to be. Instead of telling it to us in the line of what you expect from your players, what separates good from great or great from elite? It starts with people. You know, the first principle of the book is first who, then what? You got to have the right people on the bus. I've told kids their whole life. I've told parents the most important decisions you'll make in your life are people decisions. And when you pick the right people, you can accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish. If you don't start with the right people, you don't have a cut the dog's chance. You're done. So first who, then what? Then it goes to, hey, man, get the right people in the right seats. Like, okay, I've got great people around me. Are they in the right roles? You know, are they doing what they can be great at? And then you go to, okay, what can we do better than anybody else? We can't do everything, but there's something we can do. And the thing that we can do, let's do it better than anybody else in the world. Um, and then that's when you start creating momentum to me. That's when, you know, you have elite accountability. That's when you can start growing and then understanding, okay, we're not going to grow for the sake of grow, or excuse me, exchange for the, you ain't going to change for the sake of change. Like we're literally, you know, we know what we're, our wheelhouse is. We're going to stay here. We'd be willing to change, but man, we're not going to change for the sake of change and knowing what makes you great and why you're great. I think, you know, that was the cool thing about Buford. Like when we got it going, I think we had a real understanding of who we were and what made us special. And we weren't going to yield from that culture and the things that you were willing to protect every single day. Like I believe it's about culture. If you're not willing to fight for it as a coach, as a leader in the building every single day, it's going to die because it, it, you know, it is a living, breathing thing and people can get tired of it. It's hard. Like having a good culture takes a lot of work and it takes 100% buy-in. I think that's when you can get momentum is when you have a critical mass of people that are willing to fight and defend the culture every single day. Harder to establish the culture or maintain it? Boy, that's a tough question. They're both hard. They're both hard. You know, but the climb, I always tell people, there's nothing more fun than climbing. 
And like when I think about where we're at right now at the University of Miami and our football program, we are climbing. And like you, when I look back at my coaching career, the funnest things we ever did were climb because you just the grit, the determination, the buy-in that you have to have from people when you take those steps and you know, okay, this is one more step that's getting us closer to that ultimate goal. There's nothing funner than climbing to me. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Your kids are done at Buford. You're on to your next role. You said a week after Georgia State. Was that in the works? Was looking for a job in the works? You knew your time was sort of up at Buford or you wanted to take the next step, but how did you make that happen? How did that job come to be? It, wanting it, doing it are two different things. The honest truth is we were in, I guess, the old Georgia Dome playing in the state championship game on a Friday. Uh, I was in the, the tunnel we were waiting for the game before us to get done. And Sean Elliott, the head coach of Georgia State, he'd just taken the job. He was probably down there recruiting and watching games. He walked by. I hadn't seen him since he recruited a few other players probably three or four years earlier at South Carolina. I mean, shook his hand. We said, hey, that was in, you know, in pregame. On, I think on Sunday afternoon after that last game, I think I honestly just knew in my spirit it was probably time to go. And uh, I think Sean reached out to me uh, or maybe somebody called Sean. I can't remember how all that happened, but basically Sean and I got in touch with each other uh, early that week. And I rode down. I literally, and I, I don't make decisions like this. I'm, I literally like to gather a lot of information before I make a decision. But I sat down with Sean for probably 45 minutes. He offered me the job that next week on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, uh, driving back from downtown Atlanta to Buford, it's about a 40-minute drive. I called Tricia. I said, this is what we're supposed to do. She said, okay. And I called Sean. I took the job, and I drove up to the high school, and I resigned. And I just knew it was time to go. So you knew, but walking in, resigning, and walking out, was that still difficult? Oh, man, you can only imagine, man. All those relationships and all those people that have helped you raise your kids and done life with you and you know, whether it was going through hard times with families and things people were struggling with or people being there for me and Tricia when, you know, her parents were going through some of their, their health issues. I mean, I, I can't even, you know, that, that's like a whole nother chapter of my life, like to be able to talk about that experience and, and how hard it was just because, you know, we, we tried to care for people, but the truth was we were just cared for and loved well in that town. I had a chance to cover high school football down here for four years, and I do think that there is something really unique about being a leader of kids at that age and the relationships you forge, the, the mentor you can be. Some of them, not all of them, need the men in their lives to guide them in the right direction, right? It's a very unique time. How much did you appreciate that? You know, coaching is a calling or a ministry, and whether you realize it or not, I mean, it's just, and there's an accountability that goes with it because you're right. You know, not every kid needs the same thing, but there's so many kids that do need you know, father figures, those coaches in their lives to speak truth to them, to hold them accountable, to encourage them, to punish them, all of it, you know, to, hey, let's don't talk about ball right now. Tell me what's really going on. That's the beauty. Like, 
being a college coach is incredible being in the NFL, but like the guys that are having the greatest impact when it comes to ball in this world are high school coaches, in my opinion. Do you have kids that still talk to you, call you, text you, et cetera? No doubt, man. And obviously with the boys and all their friends, it's oh yeah, cool with social media just to, you know, follow those guys and see what's going on in their life. See, you know, cause you see them in that phase of, you know, 14 to 18 years old. And then all of a sudden they're 22 and then all of a sudden they're 30 and they got kids and, you're just like, wow, man, just seeing him change is just amazing. Seeing him grow. Now let's talk about Dan Quinn, right? Because I would think it's pretty unique and not the norm that you would jump from high school to college. Anyone, right? That's not the traditional path. So please tell us when and how does Dan Quinn come into your life? So a little bit about me. As a high school coach, I was willing to go anywhere, stay anywhere, drive anywhere, to go literally listen or watch practice. I, I just love doing that. I was going to take time every off season to really dig in. And, and that was just a, a passion of mine. I always wanted to keep growing. I wanted to figure things out for myself. I wanted to go and learn from other folks. So all that to say, when Will Muschamp, who I knew well from some Auburn experiences, when he got the Florida job, a good friend of mine, Mike Muschamp, who's the head coach at the Lovett School in Atlanta, we coached against each other for years, he called me up on spring break and said, hey, I'm driving down to Gainesville to hang out with Will and watch spring ball this week. And he'd love for you to come down and hang with us. He said, you want to go? So I was like, well, heck yeah. So I, I jumped in the, the car with, with Mike and all the coaches were new. And so basically we stayed at the Holiday Inn with all the coaches at Florida for that week. And so during the day, well, Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator and he's also spent his whole life being a D-line guy. So literally that week, me and Dan Quinn just hung out during the day and hung out at night talking ball, talking D-line play, and just had a blast. Just a lot of fun. So that's kind of how our relationship started. And then, you know, after that, we'd get together every year or two and talk a little bit of ball. Um, but I can honestly tell you, I never asked Dan Quinn once about a job. He never mentioned a job to me. I, I don't know. So, you know, in, in Know, seven, eight years later, out of the blue, he calls me up and says, hey, I've always wanted to work with you. Would you take this assistant D-line job? And you know, my thing, you know, high school coaches ask me all the time, how did it happen? And I think it's just, it's the whole thing, like, you know, knowing that try to do everything with excellence. You never know who's watching you. Like, you literally never know who's listening to you speak in the clinic or watching you coach on a sideline or watching a player that you develop. Like, you, you just, you know, you don't know. And I think that's kind of how it happened for me. Well, he said in doing my research, you ran the best high school practice he had ever seen, and he wanted to keep an eye on you. Now, has he related that story to you at all? So he never said that to me. I think, you know, I, somebody else has probably told me he said that before. A great deal of humility there. Plenty of balls, You say the word ball. Now, part of that is being a ball coach from the South. Again, in doing my research for this and hearing you talk about it, like, could you just talk ball all day, every day? Like, I feel like there is a deep-seated love that you have for football. It is, and it's like, you know, I played tight end at Auburn. I coached offensive line my first few years in high school. I love the passing game. I love blocking schemes. I love pass protection as a defensive coach. I love, you know, trying to teach how to attack protections. I love all of football. I love protecting the ball. I love trying to get the ball. Like, I love teaching. You know, one of the greatest gifts Dexter probably gave me is, hey, man, if you want to learn how to teach, Great teachers have a teaching progression for everything that they do. And I always tell kids, hey, man, when you know you go, when you think you stink, and like to me, 
giving a kid knowledge so when the ball snap, he can react and play fast is, to me, the sign of a good coach. You know, I think as coaches, we always try to teach kids how to do things exactly right. Well, I think a part of being a great teacher is teaching players how to play themselves out of mistakes because football ain't a game of perfect. I love all of that, man. Like, I love teaching. I love coaching. I love coaching life lessons. I was born to do this. I told the, the D-line the other day, we were in there meeting, and I said, you know what, boys? I said, probably 15 or 20 years, I'm going to be doing this for free. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, one day, I said, 15 years, I'm going to drive an old beat-up truck. I'm going to go to some high school, and I'm going to be retired, and I'm going to tell somebody, I want to work here, and I want to work for free. I want to cut the grass. I want to help in the weight room. I want to coach the line. You know, I want to fix the helmets. You know, I've done it all. I've run. I've, dri I've driven the bus. I, I've run the equipment room. I've done the laundry, and I love every bit of it. It's just, it's it's kind of a lifestyle, and, and there's just a million coaches across this country that that live it, and it's and it's all you know. I did read that you were if there was a clinic, you'd be there, like you said, if in the off season you made it a point. My whole life, like I, I, I literally, I made a lot of mistakes as a husband and a father. And when I was young in my twenties and early thirties, I was probably gone way too much on weekends to coaching clinics and the colleges, and but I just was, I was eat up with it. It was my playing golf. It was my going hunting. Like it literally. And, and I can say that with a good heart, football has been my hobby as well as my work. I, I just, I've loved it that much. Give me a couple of guys that you sat in a clinic with and you were just like blown away by like more. I want more, more, more. That was awesome. I leave, man. There's so many in like, cause I mean, it could be coaches from schools you've never heard of and names. There's just so many guys out there with so many unique experiences. Like a mentor of mine as a D-line coach has been a guy named Bill Johnson. Bill's a longtime NFL coach. He actually coached at Miami back in the 80s. And I think Ed Ordron was actually his GA here. And Bill's a little older than me. Bill came to the Atlanta Falcons probably back in 2004 or 5-ish, somewhere around that time, and walks in the field house. I don't know him. And he's he's old country boy from Louisiana, and he starts yelling, I smell football, this, you know. So I walk out, introduce myself. He's like, hey, I'm Bill Johnson. I'm the D-line coach for the Falcons, and, and uh, I'm looking for a place to put my son and my daughter in school. I'm like, well, come on in here. So we start talking. You just know sometimes in your life, within 15 minutes, like we were going to be best friends forever. You know, and Bill's, you know, I don't know, Bill's probably, I don't know, 65 now, 67. You know, he's had an unreal career in the NFL. Two years ago, he went to LSU and won a national championship. You know, he's had a charmed life as a coach. And he, but you talk about a good coach and a good teacher. Coached Aaron Donald out there in LA when they played in the Super Bowl. He's coached some great players. He's won Super Bowls. He's won national championships. I think he told me, he said, I think I'm the only person in history. He said, I won a high school state championship in Louisiana. I won a Super Bowl with the Saints. And I won a national championship at LSU. And I'm like, well, Bill, you probably are the only person to have ever done it. <laughs> I can listen to him talk about coaching D-line all day long. Man, he's got a, a great eye and a great mind for it. Besides seeking out clinics, there must have been guys that you really – probably like I got to put his film in I want to watch how they play I'm really enamored with his style this is helping me become a better D-line coach who would be some of those other guys I always tell my players this I said every time you listen to somebody try to remember one thing they said because if a guy's up there talking for 45 minutes you can't remember everything he's going to say but you can probably take one nugget that you can connect the dots with how you teach or how you coach a lot of times as coaches I think our big fault sometimes can be is 
we do what we were coached. You know, we coach the way we were coached. We have the same way of teaching. And I, I think that's probably a mistake. And I always prided myself on, I want to figure this out and see what makes sense to me. I want to see what I can see on film. You know, obviously, DQ had a great influence. I think, you know, one of the best coaches out there right now is with the Saints, actually. A guy named Ryan Nielsen. I met him. He was at NC State recruiting my players, you know, probably, I don't know, 13 years ago. Yeah, but I could literally list a ton of guys. I, I was a book reader too now. I love reading the head coach books. And not that I took every, not you know, not that that whole thing was for me and it was what I was going to do. I was going to take one nugget from, I'm like, golly, I can use that here. That fits. And the only football, head coach is only football or all sports? Man, I love Coach K books. I love John Wooden books. You know, I, I read them all, you know. And, and like I said, you're going to find something that makes sense to you I love leadership books, like, the, you know, the good and great stuff, whether it's for business, like how to lead people. I love listening to old coaches, listening to Coach Dye. Like, so I, I played for Pat Dye, and I was a student assistant for him, and I, I still can remember things he said and how he said them to coaches and players or when he said it to the staff and listening how the staff related to the players. Like, just the, you know, all that stuff was so cool to me and, and seeing how, how it worked top down and, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people who are totally bought in, you know, and how, how you can move folks that way. So when you're at Buford, right, you're the head coach. You're also the D.C. Mm -hmm. And you coach the D-line? Well, when I became the head coach, I hired two great people. I hired uh, Dickie May and I hired a guy named Brian Appling. We kind of, and along with Brian Rogers and David Snell, we kind of all, I went from being the D.C. to those guys kind of helped me being the D.C. And then after a couple of years, I think Dickie had the title, and he, he's the greatest guy in the world, one of my best friends. Ryan Appling was a young coach who's now the head coach at Buford. Me and Dickie decided, you know what, it's time to just give App this thing. He's ready to lead. He's ready to get out in front. But what was fun about Buford is the model for the culture I wanted was, you know, the low ego, no job is too small for anybody. You know, everybody's willing to sweep the shed. Everybody's willing to drive a bus. Everybody's willing to clean a locker room. Um, and nobody cares who gets the credit. And, and I felt like if I modeled that every day and if I felt like somebody was better at doing something than I was, you know, obviously when you're the head coach, you know, you can't do everything. And I tell people all the time, I say, you got to remember, I tell buddies that become head coaches in high school, like, remember why you got the job. There's something that you did really, really well. So don't become the head coach and forget why you got this job. Stay connected to that. And I always stay connected to our defense and I always – coached the defensive line every day and I had help though I had people around me because when you're the head coach you're you know you're meeting with community members you're meeting with administration you're meeting with parents you're raising money you're you're making schedules and you're a year ahead you're you're trying to hire somebody all the time you're dealing with an issue you know and a lot of that was fun for me I love my brain I'm, I'm probably ADD I love jumping around and I love being challenged I love going from one task to the next and coming back to something so all that was really invigorating for me the reason why I asked about the D line is because, again, uh, I try to prepare myself that and you've talked about how you really took pride in becoming a real expertise in your craft, that when college recruiters would come recruit your kids, they would also come and try and get on the board with you or you get on the board with them. Both. I mean, during the spring, during January, during April and May, if you were in high school, there was a clinic going on in a coach's office all day long. You know, it, it was a lot of fun. And I was fortunate. I got to speak at a lot of clinics and coaches go, hey, coach, can I spend 30 minutes with you? Tell me how you're doing this. And then, 
know, guys would come by and I'd say, hey, man, I'd love to hear how y'all do that. That's the fun part of relationship building. Heck, as a recruiter, I still, like the funnest part of recruiting as a college coach is you're getting to know people. You're selling you in. You're selling yourself. You're getting to know what makes them special um, and the people around them. Um, you're, you're watching, like connecting with a high school coach that you don't know. It's so cool because you know somebody. Or going into an old Georgia high school where I've known or coached to get somebody. And there's just so much regard and respect both ways in those relationships. It's a blast. I mean, it's something I really enjoy doing. One last thing on the high school thing, and then it, we're going to get into some of your philosophy, and then we'll end this. Did you coach against Deshaun Watson in high school? Sure did. Quite a few times. Quite a few times? Yes. As good as advertised? Oh, man. I think we played Deshaun four years in a row, I'm pretty sure. But, yes, like tough, competitive, talented, smart, Everything you know, think, and see right now is like it was all true. Uh, he was a, a Gainesville Red Elephant back in the day. If you had to put a couple other guys and you're like, man, those were dudes, like dudes that I coached against in Georgia in my time at high school, who else would be on that list? Well, Trevor Lawrence, we played quite a few times as we well. We did play. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah. All right. He'd make the list. Yeah. So literally, um, and then a kid at uh, Charlton County, Dwight Dasher, who didn't play quarterback. I don't, I'm not sure in college. Maybe he went to Middle Tennessee. Uh, you talk about a special quarterback now, a special athlete, player. Uh, but I'd say those three quarterbacks by far as high school players, man, they were all – they all beat us once. And, uh, you know, Trevor made it beat us twice. Uh, Deshaun beat us once in four years. I think we beat Trevor his freshman year. And I know we lost to him his last year. I can't remember. And then Dwight Dasher down in Charlton beat us. But those are three great Georgia high school quarterbacks. Like, not good ones. Obviously, I mean, special, great players. It must be fun where you are now, just like the fact that you crossed paths with them then. It is. And, and you know what's fun for me to watch? You know, like I remember when Trevor Lawrence was a freshman. When I say we hit him and we hit him and we hit him, and that joker got up and got up and got up. Like we won that night. But like you literally, every player and coach and every fan that was from Beaufort that sat in that stadium in Cartersville that night, you left going, that guy is really special like there was no question in your mind you were watching somebody that was going to be great at football you talked about just your passion for learning and the amount of time you put in studying and the clinics you've gone to and the people you've talked to and always yearning and thirsting for knowledge the last two years in atlanta as the d-line coach as opposed to the assistant d-line coach you kind of said earlier that that was a little more of the grunt work yep. when you became the head guy in terms of the defensive line how much better are you a coach today in your second stint at UM for those two years in Atlanta than you were the first time around? You know, I feel like coaches are like players. You're either getting better, you're getting worse, you're either growing or you're not growing. I've done a ton of growing the last two years. And literally, for me, what that does is walking back into this building, the excitement to teach, the excitement I have to watch these guys learn and to be engaged. And anybody, you know, you can say it, I can say it, anybody. When you walk into a job and you feel equipped, you feel ready, you feel like I was born to do this and the confidence that comes with that, that makes coming to work like even more fun. I, I see where you are today. And if you'll buy into what I'm telling you, I can make you so much better. You know, that, that's fun. And, and so, yeah, I think I'm you know, definitely grown in the last five years. I've grown a ton. And I, I don't know that any one of these last five years I've grown more than another, but I know I've grown every year. You know what? I know I'm fired up to be back here with these fellas and, and get to lead this group. What is life like in the NFL as a coach? Ball and 
this ball and this ball. Like old coach told me one time, he said, if you don't love football, the NFL will find you out. <laughs> and he just meant like, if you don't really love ball, because you're going to do it from oh dark 30 till, you know, late, late, late at night. And then you're going to get up and do it again and over and over and over. And, and literally there's a lot of people that love football, but it, it's, it is a little bit different now. I mean, it, it, it's a lifestyle to say the least. And the appreciation you have for that kind of athlete. It's so cool. You know, when, when you're on the field with some of those guys, you know, like, you know, I grew up loving watching Bo Jackson or Michael Jordan, those kind of unreal talents, like being around a Julio Jones and just, you know, sitting there, I'm a D-line coach, but I appreciate the whole game. And you watch greatness in front of you, like you see them do something that few human beings on the earth could do. You know, you watch a pass rusher set up a move and run a counter and that guy weighs 300 pounds and he can probably run a 484. You go, man, that's different. And, it, and it's fun. And with the NFL guys, what's cool is obviously that, you know, they're the best of the best. You can say, hey, I'm going to want to teach you a skill or teach you a trade as a player and to watch how fast they can do it. You know, it's fun to do that. All right. So now you said, I think, in one of your more recent media availabilities about how UM defensive linemen will play the game, what they will be known for. All of what we just talked about in terms of shaping yourself as a defensive line coach, a defensive coordinator, a head coach. You believe in what you believe in in terms of playing defensive line. A, what is it and why are those the things you believe in? When you take a job, you need to make sure, you know, you're aligned with like me and Manny have to be aligned. We have to see defensive line play the same way. And I think my first year here, some of the coolest growing conversations I had was Manny said, I'm used to seeing this and us doing it this way. And I'm just being frank, I'd be like, well, Manny, I've, I've coached this way and this is what I know. And so let's watch this and let's talk about how we need to do it. Do we need to melt our ideas? Do we need to do it my way? Do we need to do it Manny's way? You know? And that was so much fun for me because it was challenging and it was different. And then the next part of that, that's so much fun is have such a distinct style of play in Miami. And I tell every defensive lineman, this may not be for you, but I do believe that if you're a defensive line coach or a defensive lineman, playing in this defense is the funnest thing in the world because it's so vertical. It's so attacking. It, we're trying to disrupt on every play. We're trying to wreak havoc, cause chaos. And really for a defensive lineman, man, what does that all equal? It equals production. You know, I say this, in Miami, as a defensive line, we are not on-the-line, down-the-line players. We are vertical players. That's our style of play. That is how we're married to this defense and this system. When you think about it, man, you know, so it's going to start with style of play. So that's going to go to the type of player. I want aggressive kids that want to run off the ball and strike blocks, knock people back, set edges. I want guys that want to get after the quarterback. I want guys who are going to be relentless and how they play, and how they chase the ball carrier. We always joke and say we're going to arrive with some bad intent when we get to the ball. To me, that's where it starts. Understanding who we are as a defensive line, we're connected as a defense, whether it's defensive end to tackle the tackle, backside end, whether it's defensive end to a backer, to a safety, to a mic. One of the next steps we're going to take is playing more connected as a defense and having that eye discipline and trusting your brother. I do my job so my brother can do his. We got to chip away to that to be a great defense this next year. And that's what we're working on right now, building that foundation. So the penetration, playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, tackles for loss, all that stuff. Most people know that's what Manny's all about. Was that what you were about when you got here? You know what? Honestly, when we 
we, we joke about it. I had been such an on-the-line, down-the-line, fundamental teacher. That hadn't been my style of play. I think what, what we've done here at Miami is we've married those fundamentals with the vertical attacking style of play. And I always say, guys, we're running off the ball with great eyes. We're running off the ball with great feet. We're running off the ball with great hands. And we're going to play with great fundamentals as we do this. And I think when you marry those two together and guys know how to react and play the blocks, they get connected. The guys behind you know how you're playing. They know where you're going to be. And that's when special things can happen on defense. You know, Coach Dye forever talked about, you know, a defense, 11 guys playing with one heartbeat. Like, that's what it is. It's I can count on you. I know you. We're going to play together right here. And we're going to do it over and over and over and over. And, that, and that's the battle of the defense. It's, you know, a lot of people can do it once or twice. It's can we do it over and over? Can we do it when we put another group of defensive linemen on the field? And we roll like, you know, that's the challenge of this. Like, my best ball is our best ball. My worst ball is our worst ball. We're all connected. We're all an extension of each other. That's the accountability that it takes to play great defense. And that's what we're about. You said before, you always advise head coaches, don't forget what got you here. So how neat is it that you come back and you are essentially working for the defensive coordinator that you worked for before, who is going to be your defensive coordinator again, meaning that Manny is taking over what he knows best. It's cool. You know, when you're the new guy, man, to know the majority of the people, to know the defense, that comfort level for day one, you know, there's just conversations now that you don't have to have that you kind of, you did that work three years ago those level one and level two conversations are going to level three and four. And, and you just feel like, man, this is a good fit. This feels right. Is it true? And last year in Atlanta, you had an assistant D line coach, right? So one was kind of more, but you were connected, but one was with DNs and one was DTs. Did I get that right? Yeah. So Tosh LaPoy came in, uh, DQ has always helped with the D line. And he basically made the decision a year ago. He said, you know what, next year I'm going to kind of get out of it. He said, let's hire somebody to work with you. And he knew Tosh, and I knew Tosh LaPoy. He'd been in Alabama for a long time. And the year before with the Cleveland Browns, I was like, hey, man, me and Tosh have always wanted to work together. It'd be a great fit. We could let him do ends. I'll do tackles. So Tosh and I worked together last year. And I joke with everybody and say, like, every day for 365 days, it was like a coaching clinic. I mean, we literally lived together. Like, <laughs> I feel like I got a new brother in the world. And what was most cool about it is Tosh and I just come from such different defensive line backgrounds. So we always love clinicking together, but then when you spend a whole year together in every meeting and all, you know, every practice, it you know, we challenged each other all the time. Like it was really just a, that was another cool part of my story and my experience. The reason why I asked that is having that laser focus on the interior line play, how much did that enhance your, how you treat the position, your teaching of the position and how important that position is? I'd say, yeah, I probably was able to focus more on a Grady Jarrett, an Allen Bailey, a Tyler Davidson, you know, because Tosh could focus on the outside guys with, with Tack and Dante and, and Stephen Means and those guys. But you're so connected. You know, you've got to play together. We've got to be teaching and coaching, to, you know, and, and, you know, so we had to, we had to come together that way. It, it was like one of my, one of the funnest things in my career is working with Grady in 2017 him making his first Pro Bowl in 2019 and then seeing how hungry he was after he got that contract and going back and doing it again. You know, when you work with grown men and make a lot of money, you know, I know the outside world looks in and they probably have a lot of assumptions, man. I just, it was so fun to work with a guy who wanted to be coached and coached hard, who wanted to be led, who wanted me to give him a picture. You know, when you got a guy who's that good at his craft, 
I always say you better as a coach, like every meeting is a competition. You better come with your A game. You better give him content that's going to challenge him and allow him to grow as a player. And that was true for all our guys. But it was just a unique experience. So when you were last year, you had Gerald Willis. What does a guy like that allow you to do in this defense? Golly, man. You get a guy like Gerald Willis who just has the athleticism. Gerald was a scrapper and a fighter, a vertical penetrator. Um, he could find the edges, whether it was in the run game or in pass rush. You know, I think Gerald had close to 20 TFLs, you know, after sitting out the year before I got here. But what was fun about G is probably how much he grew and changed during his time here at the U and how hungry he was to be great his senior year. And I've always believed this. When your old guys, when your seniors play the best ball of their life, you can have a great football team. But when your seniors and your old guys don't, you know, you really, you're handicapping yourself. And that's the challenge for these old guys. You know, Manny's talked about these seniors, these super seniors and these guys coming back. And I know they're hungry, but the accountability they have is they got to play the best football they've ever played this year for the Miami Hurricanes, period. If they do, we can, we can have a special season. Last couple of things. How neat was it to reunite with the guys you recruited in the one you were here? Yeah, you know, I, I signed a few of those guys. I coached, you know, the Jordan Millers of the world, John Fords of the world, Nesta. You know, obviously I'd signed uh, Jared Harrison Hunt and Jason Blissett and Jalar Holly. I'd signed those guys the year I was here, Jafari Harvey. So I have a relationship, not with every kid, Cam Williams. I have some kind of relationship with most of the kids in there. So that, that's kind of fun and getting back going. But what's so cool is how hungry they are to learn and how hungry they are to just know what's the area they have to improve in and what's the areas we have to improve in. And so far, they've been digging for it. And now, the year you were here, I was looking at some of the, the transfer portal stuff. Was Jalen Phillips on the roster the year you were here? No, I uh, actually, he was in the portal, and I actually recruited Jalen Phillips. And, uh, you know, obviously, I left right as he was coming in. So he's gone through a ridiculous transformation. Now, did you watch the tape of last year's team at all? Because you talked before about relentless effort and energy. And if you watch those two defensive ends, Roche and Phillips, their unwavering effort running down backside plays on runs or Jalen Phillips spin move one, spin move, like never giving up. It was to me, it was a joy to watch. Yeah, I mean, those guys, man, they played their tails off, you know, played hard, super talented. They got a chance to go, you know, earn a living playing football. I mean, what a what a blessing for them. But, man, those two cats had a great year for the Miami Hurricanes. They're going to be, be tough to replace for sure. All right, Coach, I think our time is up. You've been great. I got to go read some books, I think. Watch some old tape or something. I got uh, to go hit Amazon for a little two-day Amazon Prime on, on some reading material. I always tell my players because they tell me they're tired. I say, well, you'd be tired when you're dead, man. We hustle. Let's go. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you taking the time, Coach. It's been fun. Man, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I really appreciate it, man.